재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Well, we have our final segment of the week, News Digest. Let's get some analysis on some of the major issues of this past week. And we're very pleased to have joining us here in the studio a uh, uh, long time no see for a good friend from Hongik University Law, Professor Cho Yi Kyung. Professor Cho, good to see you again. It's very nice to see you, Henry. Well, let's talk politics. Uh, it's something that we uh, generally try to discuss when we have you here because you have some fascinating views on it. But uh, it's the end of an era. The 19th National Assembly held its last regular session. They had this little mini flurry at the end to try to pass some 11th hour bills. However, that being said, and if you want lawmakers to be productive and try to pass good legislation, that was probably not the case with this uh, uh, National Assembly. Only 40 percent of these uh, bills proposed over the four-year session ended up clearing the uh, legislature. One of the bills, I just want to get your thoughts on some of these mm-hmm. bills as we kind of just run through it. The, uh, the uh, Shinhe Chal Law, which was of course named after the uh, very popular singer uh, Shinhe Chal, who was the victim of um, a medical malpractice. Uh, this passed. Uh, in your views, what what are your thoughts on that legislation and I suppose how it will or will not improve the medical industry here in the country? Right. So I think there was a real sort of outpouring of grief over the over Shinichol's death yes. because he was not only a popular singer but an entertainer who had a social conscience right, right. and you know he really spoke out um, his thoughts. This bill that was passed essentially amends an existing law which provides um, an avenue for settling disputes between a patient and a doctor or hospital that might have committed malpractice. Um, normally when a patient suffers as a result of a, a medical accident or malpractice, they could either sue the doctor or the hospital or appeal to the medical mediation centre which is set up under an existing law. But the problem with the latter is that you have to have the consent of the doctor or the hospital to actually bring that dispute to right. the mediation centre, which is really pretty much useless because yeah. in most cases the doctors or the hospitals do not give their consent. So this bill essentially amends the existing law to allow a patient to bring the dispute to the mediation centre without the consent of the doctor or the hospital. Um, And so we hope that this bill would, um, or now now the law, will pave the way for more um, efficient and and reasonable and fairer way of settling these um, medical disputes between patients and provide them better remedy to address their, their injuries. So overall, I, I sense a little bit of optimism that this is uh, the proper piece of... Well, this this was a bill that should have been passed long ago because it, was, it wasn't that controversial. Right. Yeah. And uh, I suppose other than uh, certain doctors and what happened. Well, uh, other than a certain, you know, interest groups that may sure. have interest sure. in not passing that bill, yes. Uh, some of the bills that did not get passed, um, and really it feels like for the past year and a half we've just been hearing this kind of railing whenever there's a big cabinet meeting and the president or a decree from the Blue House saying pass these labor reform and economic bills to boost the economy. What are you guys doing, you lawmakers? Get off your butts and do this. Ultimately, the those bills did not pass, and this was the mm-hmm. 19th General Assembly, still controlled by the ruling Senate Party. Um, they they're going to try to resubmit them uh, on May 30th with the new Assembly. It, it feels like it's dead, but am I being a little bit too naive in this process? When you say it, um, are you referring to a piece of legislation or piece an, a bill in particular, or the the just the entire the, package of reforms that this blue house is trying to push through as part of their agenda? Right. Um, is it dead? Well, I think unless Senri Party tries 
better and more to cooperate with the other two main parties, and I'm talking about Tominju and um, People's. the People's Party's party, I am not really that hopeful that these set of reforms would get passed even in the next um, assembly, because um, even with you know uh, the sort of um, the former members coming back to Senary Party and possibly the the People's Party joining them, they still won't get the supermajority that's required to pass the the controversial bills, which are you know 180 votes, right. and they only get something like 167 from what I've read, and so they are going to have difficulty in getting these passed unless they actually talk to the other opposition party, the Minzu Party, mm. and get their support behind it. You know, um, I got reminded of this the commencement speech that. President Barack Obama of um, America gave at this university, Howard Howard University. This was like earlier this this month, right. and he said in that speech, even in a democracy, you need compromise. You know, you especially um, consent of. I mean, you need to listen to other people and. You have to actually get their consent, even when you know you are 100% correct. You need, still need to talk to them and convince them, because otherwise the changes that you are trying to implement are not going to stick. You know, because if if you try to basically bulldoze them um, through and walk right over the others who don't necessarily agree with you, then they're simply going yeah. to try to change it back, change you know whatever you've done back to what it was before. And so, unless scenery and actually makes a real effort to listen to the oppositions, um, the people who disagree with them, and try try to address their concerns and fears and etc. I don't think a lot of progress is going to be made um, for this particular set of um, reform agenda. Yeah. I mean, there's this idea of negotiating in good faith, but if uh, the Blue House and the Henry Party are not really willing to be uh, flexible on that, I, I, the civil servants. Uh, reform bill, the pension reform bill. Right. I remember there was some kind of agreement on the table between opposition and ruling mm-hmm. party, but Blue House just basically shot it down because this doesn't have, the, it's not 100% our way. And, mm-hmm. and of course, the opposition cried foul and saying, look, we came to an agreement. And mm-hmm. those sort of things is what you're saying that Senri now has to have the political exactly. will to and, do. And you're absolutely right. It's not just the Senri party, but also the Blue House, the the executive branch that really needs to get in on the act. You know, President Park has been criticized criticized so much for not communicating. Yeah. And she really needs to communicate more and be prepared to compromise. I mentioned in the beginning that this was a very unproductive um, assembly. Now, I mean, whether a country, or, there's always a cynicism. Oh, these guys are so ineffective. They're not agreeing on anything, and, and they didn't pass any bills. And I suppose the record shows they, they actually uh, passed the lowest percentage of bills submitted. Would you give an overall poor score to this outgoing 19th assembly? <laughs> Funny that you should mention school. Um, if I had to grade them on their performance, seriously, I would give them maybe a D minus. Okay, yeah. so not quite failing. I like to see it <laughs> You know, they actually stuck to the um, the Legislative Assembly Reform Bill, which essentially tried to kind of ban that the kind of you know physical fisticuffs that were happening in the parliament. Yeah, so, we don't want to be Taiwan uh, anymore. No. Um, so I give them some points for that. Okay, and a little tongue in cheek uh, that. 
you mentioned the 180 supermajority, and there's this, I guess, h- hindsight being 2020, a lot of hubris uh, with this Henry side saying, we're going to try to get that 180 after oh, the yes. general election yeah. so we can pass it, it seems laughable now. Yeah. Indeed. Now, the National Assembly Act and this whole dispute over um, the rev- revision of it and whether this is going to grease the wheels and make the legislative process a little better, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the the recent reform bill that was passed, okay, well, I think it's essentially le- allowing the parliament or the assembly to sit more <laughs> so they have more days sitting. Um, so in the past, they had something like two months of the year off um, and there were certain rules about when the standing committees could actually convene, but now they've changed the law so that... Um, the assembly could be called um, at very short notice uh, and they could sit through the months of June and August, which they used to have off. Um, and this, the standing committees could also sit um, in the months of March and May in the third week to actually look at the issues. But I seriously don't think it was really a question of time that prevented mm. the 19th assembly from um, actually doing their job. It's really the lack of willingness to engage with the other side and to be prepared to compromise and really listen to the other side. Um, When you are really sort of just sticking with your own position and, you know, really not be willing to compromise in any way whatsoever, you may have some kind of moral superiority. You may feel good about yourself because you really stuck to your guns and your beliefs. But at the end of the day, you're not actually getting anything done. You're simply, you know, um, treading water. And so we don't pay these people to just sit, you know, and argue with each other. We are actually paying them to make the people's lives better. And so they really need to be doing their job, which is really to engage with the others and to work out a compromise that people can live with. Is it too pessimistic, uh, final question on this, to think, as we head into a presidential election year, now that the opposition basically is in the majority, um, not much more is going to be accomplished in the lead up to 20, end of 2017. Yeah, I think we've sort of really entered the lame duck you know, period for the president herself. Um, as to whether the assembly can do some meaningful work between now and the next presidential election, I think it really comes down to how prepared are they to engage with each other and be willing to compromise their positions. Right, and as you said, it includes the Blue House too because the president does wield a a veto pen. So um, those are all factors that go into play. Uh, Our next topic, Professor Cho, this is, uh, we talked about this earlier in our program as well, and this is really something that's horrified the entire nation, not just women, but just people all around. This murder in uh, Gangnam subway station, a young woman, Mm 23-year-old, stabbed to death in a bathroom, and now a lot of people wonder, what was this? Was it a robbery, or what what was the motive of this crime? It seems like, from what we understand with the the perpetrator, uh, he admitted to the crime, is that this was really something dealing with misogyny and maybe a a bit of disturbed um, uh, mental state. just initially, what what are your thoughts on this Kangnam case? Right. So the details are still a bit sketchy, aren't they? Um, so we know that this young woman was stabbed or, or st- killed by this uh, man who is a complete stranger to her uh, while she was visiting the bathroom in a bar. And it was a unisex bathroom. It was early hours of um, the morning of 17th of May. Right. And as you say... 
there's no clear motive um, except that the the um, assailant essentially professed that he had killed her because she had been disregarded or slighted by women um, in his life. And so I think people were just horrified because there was no real motive behind this murder, um, this killing. It, it's what's called a don't ask crime. I mean, it's a neologism, yeah. which basically says there is no motive, you know, and I think the shocking part of it is that um, the realization that anybody could have been a victim to this. Uh, you don't have to have, you didn't have done anything to actually upset um, the perpetrator. Simply the fact that, you know, she was a woman uh, was enough to trigger this man. Mm. But um, I understand that he's also had some history of psychiatric illness and he's been hospitalized uh, numerous times in the past. And so that may be a factor. We don't know exactly yet. And, and this is where we, I suppose, uh, lean on your legal expertise on this, um, the victim's family and loved ones and, of course, everyone else who is outraged would want to see justice served here. The police saying, OK, look, we, we have to... S- take all this into consideration, his mental state, um, maybe not go as far as say that this is some, simply a hate crime. What are your thoughts on how to legally define this? Right. Um, you know, give, based on the information that I have, I am not really sure if we can categorize this clearly, clearly as a hate crime, um, especially because of the, the psychiatric history that he has. So he may have been incapacitated at the time when he committed this crime, which essentially negates what's called mens rea, the criminal intent. So he was not in his right mind. Um, and I understand that that's the reason why the police is also hesitant to classify this as a hate crime. But I was concerned that he you know, the, the assailant basically gave as a reason for killing her that he felt slighted by women all his life and that he felt that that could be a justifiable excuse for, you know, a killing this young woman who had done nothing whatsoever to her. And I don't think we can deny that there is a deep-seated misogyny in Korean society. Um, and it's so prevalent and widespread and it's at a subconscious or subliminal level that in, you know, in everyday misogynistic sort of um, practice, people are not aware, particularly males, are not aware that they're actually engaging in misogyny. And I think that's what does need to be addressed. This is a bit of a complicated question, I suppose. But when you talk about misogyny, and and I I think we're seeing this not just in Korea, but other parts of the world, where I, I have, I'm sure you've heard of the men's rights movement mm-hmm. and, and there's even more uh, extreme groups known as like the, these red pillars who, mm-hmm. who I suppose are just deeply, deeply um, uh, upset about the way feminism has supposedly taken over society and really kind of removed the traditional values that uh, people hold dear, I suppose. But is that what we're talking about, this phenomenon here in Korea or is this – because this is juxtaposed with this traditional – everyone thinks of Confucian, very patriarchal, very um, uh, suppressive environment for women as it stands. Mm. Is that what we're talking about, this sort of dynamic between modern women in Korea and how men feel somewhat left behind or is it kind of part of this whole traditional Korean kind of just oppressed women thing? I, I think what you are sort of referring to is almost like a post-feminism backlash against the right. traditional feminism, feminist movement. But what I'm referring to here is really – just the very basic um, 
uh, disempowerment of women that happens at every level of society here in Korea and also elsewhere in the world. I mean, for me, this crime could almost have been another strand in this very difficult knot of you know, the gang rape of a, a woman student on the bus in India, um, the shooting of Malala in Pakistan, um, just because she wanted an education, the kidnapping of girl students by Boko Haram in Nigeria, in all of those things where women are essentially the weaker minority group and they are victimized because of then their gender, which over which they have absolutely no control. Yeah. And I think this is why we are seeing so much outpouring of grief by ordinary people, um, particularly women, mm. over this crime, because they feel that you know, this young woman who had her full her life ahead of her and, and who had it taken away by this stranger simply based on her gender. Yeah. This is, I guess, somewhat indirectly... Uh Related to that ridiculous debate going on in the United States over the transgender use of uh, bathrooms oh. and whether they should be forced to use uh, the uh, gender of their birth. Um, here now, a lot of people talking about the safety of uh, right. bathrooms and, and unisex bathrooms. Um, are these issues that you feel need to be seriously addressed? I think if we place the blame you know, for this case on the unisex bathroom, then we are really barking up the wrong tree. Um, it's like you know, having a drunken driver at the wheel of a car and blaming the car for a, a motor vehicle accident afterwards. Um, I don't think it was the unisex bathroom that was the problem. I mean, obviously, uh, there are in every, in every place... Um, risky places, areas or not safe places and they're, they're talking about placing more you know, CCTV um, cameras and sort of lighting them better and, and things but I don't think the yeah. presence of a unisex bathroom necessarily caused this crime. Yeah, and, and the, the, the same argument that's being made in the US is that um, if you are a disturbed individual, there's nothing that stops you from going into a woman's bathroom simply right. because it's labeled non-unisex or male or female Absolutely. To, to commit some kind of a crime if a crazy person's a crazy person. Yeah, and you know the tip, the classic female bathroom problem. And so sometimes I do wish when there's a really long queue, you know, at female bathrooms and absolutely none yeah. in males, that you could actually use the other genders. And the final question on this one is, you you, you said uh, this has kind of kind of brought about this outpouring of grief as well as anger, especially among uh, women who feel kind of. I suppose, threatened and vulnerable because of this situation. Is this going to be a positive, I suppose, start of a conversation to just more seriously address the issues of misogyny in Korean society? I'm not really sure. I mean, I hope this may provide a trigger for that. But we've had similar incidents in the past, and that hasn't really changed um, the situation. There's been incremental improvements, but not really watershed moments that we could say, hey, this has really changed the era. Um, you know, in a way, this might sound odd, but the best way to prevent this kind of crime is to really empower women at all levels of society. And I wish that the government would actually introduce some kind of minimum quota for women. Affirmative um, for, action. Absolutely. I think that's what's really needed. Well, I think there would be a lot of people who agree with you. It would be an interesting uh, debate, certainly, to have, uh, perhaps, at a later date here on the program. Professor Joe, as always, we uh, appreciate your analysis, and we thank you for your time, and we hope you have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you.